is episode 154 of G.I. Joburg, where we're taking a little bit of a side quest, but I'm not going alone. My name is Steve, and I'm joined by... Robert, uh, a regular voice on this podcast, as well as our childhood friend... Alistair, not so regular, but popping up from time to time. Nice. Yes, 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 that means the three mighty friends from the past have joined forces... It can only mean one thing. We're going to talk nostalgia. Serious nostalgia. But gents, how are you guys doing? Rob, you've just had a convention. Elle, you've had one hell of a day. Hit me with the news, man. Let's ease into this chat, shall we? Yeah, it's been a, quite a hectic week, actually. And it doesn't stop. Tomorrow's busy, next day's busy. and Yeah. <laughs> Who the, is the, that? The noises you hear in the back of my son, if you can hear that. He's also seems to want to burn the midnight oil a bit. Nice. What's his name, buddy? Gabriel. Hello, Gabriel. Should have been asleep a while ago, but he's still going around. <laughs> he's burning the oil just like Dad. Yeah. Too much sugar. And hey, Rob, how are you doing, bud? I'm I'm doing quite well. Yeah, I just came back from Johannesburg from Comic Con Africa, where we spent four days amongst sixty thousand people. Basically celebrating and enjoying um, modern pop culture um, from the friend's couch. You could go and sit on that thing and get your pictures taken to seeing the A-Team van and Kit from Knight Rider parked outside the convention center and tons of comic books and other merchandise. So, yeah, I, I'm, I'm tired. I flew all the way from Cape Town back to, Johann- to Johannesburg and then back again. And, yeah, I'm pretty, my arms are pretty tired. <laughs> Dude, did they start kit up? Did it have the lights going? They didn't. Like it was just parked there outside. It was a bit annoying. I, I wish, I wish that they did have the lights on. There was also the Ghostbusters van. That was pretty neat, as well as the uh, the car from Mad Max, which I didn't recognize because I've only seen Mad Max like once. You mean the ever. Ghostbusters hearse? <laughs> yes. One? Yes. Was it a hearse or Ecto-1. was it an ambulance? I'm trying to remember. Ambulance. It must have been, yeah, it had the lights and everything. Okay. Just really old school. It was like a sedan. No, a station wagon, what am I saying? (laughs) Yeah, essentially. (laughs) But yeah, overall, it was a fantastic experience. We stayed at a really amazing dinner breakfast where the guy made us uh, scrambled eggs every morning. (laughs) There was uh, horses and dogs, and overall, just a fantastic experience. Um, I'm, I'm quite happy to have gone, but I'm also happy to be back in Cape Town, the mother city, where all the good stuff happens. Or happened. I'm kind of split down the middle. I um, had some downtime from work. We were given the option as to where they wanted to fly us, because obviously no one really wanted to stay in China. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And so I'm I'm always going to be torn between going back to SA or going to Australia, where my wife is working. Um, and so, you know, of course the missus won out, but a large portion of me wishes I was back in, in the mother city, the home to, among other things, my friends, my parents, and my toys. (laughs) Absolutely, but it's your wife, dude. Your wife wins, I think. Yeah, nookie. No, it's the love of your life. You get to spend more time with her. You guys got to see each other. But enough of this joying. Gentlemen, I hope you have a <laughs> beverage in hand because we're about to go mm. we're about to go deep into our nostalgia folders. We three 
have been tasked in episode 152 to talk about a topic that I've hinted at a number of times on this G.I. Joburg journey, but we've never been able to give it its dedicated episode because I guess the stars weren't in alignment. The three of us were not together in one episode with this as a dedicated topic. I am, of course, or not so obviously, talking about shifters. Mm. This is something that, as I say, I've, I've peppered in our conversations a number of times before. But you, dear listener, have a guy called Darkblade689 to thank for this topic. Or maybe you have someone called Darkblade689 to blame for this topic. Because he's the most recent person to come on, I think it was a YouTube comment thread, and say, Hey, Steve, I'd really like to hear about that shifters stuff that you were talking about. So here you go. <laughs> shifters was a alternate reality style game that we played with our G.I. Joe toys. That's the broadest stroke that I can give it. We're going to get into the details of how it came about and what the storyline involved. But, gentlemen, this was something that we cooked up when we had way too much time on our hands. I think the year was 2004. Can you cast your minds back? What were we doing back then? L? Uh, I had just started studying uh, college after taking a year off after high school. Oh, yes. So, weird, weird time to get into gaming. <laughs> no, not weird at all, man. I think uh, the time was ripe. I mean, you had to procrastinate from your studies somehow, right? Yeah. Rob, where were you at in 2004? I think 2004, yeah, I had just finished my studies. Um, I studied to be a, a, a some sort of computer technical dude. Um, I've long since forgotten that and never had to use those skills, unfortunately. <laughs> hey, buddy. One of the three of us went to law school. Whoa! <laughs> there ain't no that? lawyer today. <laughs> <laughs> and, so, the three of us who went, went to study, I'm the only one doing what I studied. Isn't that weird? Yeah, that, uh, that is weird. I think... <laughs> <laughs> that at least one of us kind of, you know, knew, always knew what we wanted to do. <laughs> oh, two, two out of three men in this conversation did not uh, go into their uh, studied field. Yes. But I was, I think I hadn't started my first job yet. I was basically between jobs. Um, it took me a while to kind of find, uh, get my first job. Um, so in the meantime, I had a sort of a summer job where I worked at my mother's office when they kind of went on holiday, essentially just, you know, um, answering the phones and sending, I don't know, faxes and, and checking daily numbers and things. Um, so yeah, I also had a ton of free time on my hands and there was a lot of inspiration at the time for all of us. I think, um, we'd seen a lot of really great movies. Ooh, can you recall what movies were, like, rattling around in our heads at the time? Because those played a huge influence uh, into the sort of the, the idea, the concept that Shifters was. Probably one of the biggest, yeah, was the Matrix trilogy, or at least the first few Matrix films. I mean, I can't remember when the last one came out, but it certainly was a huge influence. But even more so, probably was the movie called The One. Oh, I had forgotten that. Oh, it did Yes. Yeah, with Jet Li. Which is literally, 
essentially what I, you know, what, what, what we came up with afterwards. Um, the one, um, if, if someone hasn't watched it was about a, a multiverse where there's different versions of you and the main character, a version of him is tracking down every other version of himself to kill them, to destroy them until there's only one left. And by doing this, you'd have the ultimate power in the entire universe or something. Um, and he'd be the best fighter ever. Incidentally, The Matrix Revolutions had been released the year prior. So the Matrix trilogy was very fresh in our minds. Complete. It had just, yes. yeah, it had been completed. And I think even back then we were kind of lukewarm on the, the second two. But it was still the era where we had a combination DVD VHS. And I mm. recall we defaulted to the Matrix, the first one, as our viewing uh, standard, I suppose, most nights when we needed yes. that action, the action fix. Um, I, I seem to recall that when the three of us were together, we would typically follow this pattern of like having dinner with the family, then getting some kind of game going with our action figures. Once that quest had concluded for the night, we'd make some popcorn, some mixer drink called Oros, <laughs> kind of tartrazine, orange-flavored, yeah, muck, and then settle Delicious. in for a, a movie. And, and typically, yeah, it did tend towards The Matrix. Another big hitter, I think at the time, the, the coolest superhero movie of all time had got to be Blade. Yes. It kind of set up the aesthetic that uh, that the Matrix then kind of ran with, like guys with guns in <laughs> like leather dusters or, or jackets with shades at night, uh, kicking ass. <laughs> very practical, very practical. But it influenced us a lot, and we saw it also. I mean, that was a few years before that um, when it came out, but it was the only really good superhero film at the time. Oh, are you going to discount Sam Raimi's Spider-Man? Yeah, that, that, yeah, no, I mean, that, that was pretty good. I enjoyed it, but I think Blade was just darker and more interesting. And more useful to us because we were into toys that had guns. Mm. So it like every, every action figure, um, styled adventure needed to be, you know, styled after kind of a, a genre that had a lot of kind of gun porn in it. El, were you into gaming at the time? Um, did you have an Xbox back then? Um, I can't remember if I had an Xbox back then. But just, we were talking about Blade. I, I never saw Blade as being a superhero. Mm. Um, cause it, it, it wasn't, I don't, I can't remember if it was like the opening credits or whatever, but it wasn't Marvel affiliated, was it? Didn't have that like comic book in the beginning, like all the Marvel movies do now. The comic book pages flipping past. I think no, it had some, did it not have some version of that? It might have, but I, I don't think I don't no, remember. No, you, you're right. You're right. It probably did not. Uh, that that hadn't no. become a, a kind of a staple yet, because I think Blade, it started the whole comic book movie renaissance out, albeit very subtly. But it took like a an almost unknown or lesser known comic book character. In fact, like I think he was just a supporting character in the Dracula comic books. And mm. kind of put him front and center in his own movie. And, and since then, like, I challenge you to find an incarnation of Blade that doesn't look Wesley Snipes-esque. It's all become very kind of uh, revisionist 
thanks to like the, I mean Snipes really did inhabit that role for at least two films. <laughs> <laughs> he was perfect for that role. Yes. Indeed, indeed. But getting back to Shifters, I think it all really kicked off uh, when I'd been asked to house-sit my girlfriend of the time's parents' house, which was quite expansive. Uh, It had a big yard, it had quite a number of bedrooms, and I had all the time in the world in the law library to daydream up at least the opening kind of scenario for a plot that would involve three central pro- protagonists. You see, the problem with G.I. Joe was... <laughs> you almost did procrastinists. Procrastinists, <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> I was on the edge. Hey, guys, can you blame me? It's 20 past 6 a.m. in Australia at the moment. I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm burning oil of a different kind, boys. That, that's kind of a standard waking up time around here. Jeez. <laughs> Yeah, is it standard, like, can you wrap your mind around a podcast time? I mean, gee whiz. Anyways, enough complaints out of me. Come on, Stephen, you bring this on yourself. Um, Yeah. I I concocted this idea around three protagonists because we needed to have three... Because we were a trio, we needed a trio of characters. As I say, G.I. Joe has always been an ensemble piece. You could pick and choose whoever you wanted as and when you wanted to kind of slip into a different role. Uh, like, you know, if I want to be first through the door, I would pick Shockwave. If I wanted to go uh, for the entire game, I would be Snake Eyes, you know. So, we needed characters that reflected our personalities at the time, and I think we were quite successful in that. More on that later. The scenario in broad strokes at the opening was well, I suppose it was like Worlds Without End, uh, that's a touchstone for G.I. Joe fans out there, although none of us mm. had actually seen that episode of the cartoon. It told the story of a world where Cobra came out on top. Cobra was in control of North America, and they'd created a kind of almost walled continent um, against the rest of the world, which was run by Cobra and had a strict isolationist policy. Somewhere along the lines of history, Cobra had won and had become the dominant power. It had become kind of a total, absolute power. Trouble is, no one could remember when this came about. Our three characters were brought up inside this system as officers of the law, I suppose. We were were there to kind of put down any revolutionary notions. We were a kind of a security force to investigate and stop known terrorist organizations, chief amongst them being G.I. Joe. Mm. Do you guys remember the action figures that we used? I obviously used... (laughs) You obviously used... A beachhead of some kind. That was my favorite at the time. Indeed. Well, it was the prime era for that, because it was, uh, you know, the mid-2000s, and I think the year before that, we'd received our first shipment of... New sculpt G.I. Joes. <laughs> we were very impressed with them at the time. Don't hold that against us. Yeah, were we? I think so. I enjoyed them. I think at the time, we we were just excited to have new G.I. Joe toys, sure. But, I mean, I, I, I remember distinctly, like, sort of falling back out of favor with them. I was like, eh, 
I like the proportions of the, the vintage O-ringers better, but, you know, these things aren't without their saving graces. And for you, L, I think the biggest saving grace of all was uh, the new sculpt figures had particularly forgiving hands. Yeah, that was always my problem. And, uh, and I, I would often watch you wincing as I put weapons in guys' hands. <laughs> Did I do it back then, even? Oh, man. Yeah. Oh, the new Scott guys were definitely uh, a saving oh, grace. Superior there. hands. Plus their guns were just the more realistic, more modern. I don't know. I preferred the, the new sculpt weapons. No, you're you're remembering incorrectly now. I think the new sculpt weapons were just reissues of the old school weapons. But because mm. of the forgiving hands, like you could use a greater multitude of weapons. You weren't like having to test out, okay, can this guy grip this thing? No, he can't. I'm going to get some, some press stick, some tack and like <laughs> stick it, stick it into his fist. Yeah. Blue tack or press stick was a saving grace for, for most of our game times. So, uh, just to put it in perspective for the listeners, uh, the figure that you settled on came in that initial wave of, uh, two packs that GI Joeberg or we received back then. Jeez. G.I. Joeberg wasn't even a twinkle in my eye. Um, it was Beachhead version 4, for those of you uh, with yojo.com quick to hand. But it was modified because you gave him a face. And the face was from none other than Blowtorch version 2. Very handsome, blonde head, blue-eyed, shaved head dude. Um, perfect protagonist for, for our true blue hero, Alistair. Ooh. <laughs> Who'd you use, Rob? Oh, I'm I'm really struggling to remember who I used. I feel like I I must have used some sort of Asian character. I'm, I'm imagining it was because of who he eventually became, but I really don't remember. My memory is is failing me right now. I'm hope you remember. Stephen. Well, let me let me jog your memory slightly. Do you recall? Stumbling upon a entire wave of carded fun school India figures. Oh, that means I would have used um. Budo, Budo, Budo san. Budo, Budo san. <laughs> okay, the the joke, um, yes, dear listeners, true. is the fact that uh, all our GI Joe catalogs were European, so they were trilingual. <laughs> so I mean, they would have interesting alternate code names, shall we say. For instance, Mutton Junkyard, I think, was Doberman and Lupus. <laughs> <laughs> and then some other name. Um, you know, there were, there were a trio of names for each character. <laughs> but Budo was just Budo, Budo, and then Budo-san. <laughs> Budo-san. <laughs> uh -huh. But you used, I think, a Budo head combined with a mm. custom body. Uh, which was a mega viper that you had painted black. Cause yes, yellow and purple was offensive to us even as children. <laughs> yeah, yes, yes, I do remember painting it black because yeah, it, 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 that was like the furthest we got in customizing our figures at the time was painting them a better I, color. I say as children, but, uh, let's be honest, it, we were like in our early twenties at this point. I was 19, I'll put that out there, I was 19. Oh, he geez, was, he was still in his teens, he was still in his teens, so it's Some forgivable. <laughs> right. No, look, I mean, I'm very quick to tell Kimberly, my wife, that uh, my idea of a good night in my 20s was to drop my girlfriend off of the time at a club, 
<laughs> then drive back <laughs> and meet up with you guys at my parents' house and, <laughs> and play with know. toys. <laughs> exactly. Play with toys. Yeah, yeah. Late into the night and then put the Matrix into the VCR and you know, eat popcorn and drink Oros. I and, also and, remember falling asleep a lot to the G.I. Joe movie. Yeah, we'd sometimes pop yes. that in as well. And and I recall Rob and I would always be on one couch and Esther <laughs> would be on the other. That was always the problem. We should never have done that because he would yeah. always fall asleep. <laughs> but those are the most comfortable couches. And I've even said to Mom, if they ever want to sell them, I will buy them. Those are ridiculous. Some really retro 70s couches, but they are comfy. I'll give them that. They are amazing. Yeah, man, like brown corduroy. What the heck? But they're comfortable. Mm. <laughs> Very retro. So we open with these three agents for Cobra, tasked with hunting down the last vestiges of the G.I. Joe resistance movement or terrorist outfit, uh, depending on which side of the divide you fell on. And the first man on our hit list is Old Man Flint, who we've got a, a hot lead on trying to locate. Wait, do you have a what, what figure you use? Oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. Well, I was a big uh, Shockwave fan, of course. And, of course, that figure sculpt lends itself perfectly to a Cobra law enforcement agent. But I did decide to give him a face. And the face was none other than Eco Warriors Flint. Mm. Uh, which I thought was, was kind of like a cool look, and because it didn't have the beret, it didn't necessarily scream flint, but it did look like a... It's a fairly generic face, but it kind of looked like you in a way as well. Yeah, well, yes, and thinking back on it now, I think I might have been drawn to it because it was definitely flint sculpted a little bit older. You know, he had mm. slightly sunken cheeks, you know, he looked like he'd seen some shit. Uh, so it was like... Yeah, I think I, I was always drawn to, like, the idea of the old soldier kind of being pulled back into the fray. So, yes, Shockwave version 1 with um, Flint version 3 head, if uh, if indeed you are checking up on us. I think it was version 3, yeah, because Tiger Force Flint must have been version 2. Yeah. So we track down, ironically, old man Flint in his log cabin... For that, we did not have a V1 flint. We used the new sculpt flint, who, Rob, you dubbed uh, Atomic Stomp Flint, thanks to his oversized, yes. like, boots. <laughs> he was fantastic. Which he man. tried to use on us, but um, he was easily bested by the three, uh, you know, our three extremely proficient, perhaps uh, especially proficient Cobra operatives. And uh, I think he's... He might have been mortally wounded or, I don't know, we, we somehow, out of him, garnered some information on a an assassination attempt at a sort of a, a pep rally. On our dear leader. Yes, on our dear August commander, to be carried out by none other than Lowlight, the sort of surviving G.I. Joe sharpshooter, who we managed to thwart. But, I mean, his, his assassination attempt, I think, would have amounted uh, or come to nothing because um, I seem to remember, like, at this pep rally, like, Cobra Commander wasn't even there anyway. It was some kind of, like, some holographic projection then shrouded in bulletproof glass just to kind of make the illusion complete. I had some kind of notion like that at the time. Yeah, his mission was always going to be a failure. 
Yes, we corner him anyway. And crazy old lowlights, I think, tries to spill the beans, or at least give us some insight into this fight that G.I. Joe is fighting. And that it, it has something to do with an event that took place somewhere along the line of, of, of history that skewed this reality into what it is today. That this is not the real world. This isn't how things are supposed to be. That something is wrong and we need to get to the bottom of it. And he tips us off on how to find Duke. Because he, you know, in his kind of dying breath, says that if there's one man who can convince you of the truth, it's Duke. You've got to find Duke, and he's going to be here at this time. Uh, the time and place happen to be a kind of a high, high roller, um, Cobra, I suppose, Cobra friends evening, like a big mixer, charity event, if you will. I think we used a lot of Star Wars action figures to create the kind of throng of, of uh, dignitaries. And yeah, probably kind of like on the um, on that world in the, the Last Jedi. <laughs> oh, you had to, you had to. I know I was, I, was, I was probably like preempting that in some way, shape, or form. But yeah, before before Ryan Johnson did that, uh, oh, I suppose we did it, it seems long this, before. This original story of ours involved either things that came before that we didn't know existed, that episode of of GI Joe, or things that had yet to come. Well, I'm of the opinion that there is not an original idea in the world, uh, that we're all just remixing the same themes. That Yeah, there are like, I don't know, maybe seven basic story types. Something to that effect. But that's a whole other conversation. Anyway, we go <laughs> to this charity ball. We go there and we intercept Duke and corner him. You know, he's obviously there up to no good he's gonna take out some high-ranking cobra official or something or maybe bomb the whole event i i get hazy on those details and duke spills everything he sings like a canary uh i don't know why <laughs> because we're the protagonists basically and we can't be bad guys right he he thinks he can he can somehow persuade us to see things from his point of view and he kind of adds that if we go to the Cobra records and see for ourselves, like, there is a whole chunk that you'll find missing. Um, so I think we mount up, we jump on board a lime green transport helicopter. Can you guys remember what that was? <laughs> uh, the dinosaur? No, it wasn't the dinosaur's helicopter, was it? Oh, you're getting warmer. Yeah, it was. Was it? Uh, so, this is before you painted it grey. Exactly. This before. We, yeah. Well, grey, black, one of the two. We had the Chapmay, not Chinook. It's like sort of modelled after the Sea King helicopter. Um, but we missed out on the Soldier Force releases, so we got it when it was in a lime green skin for the, I suppose, Dino Hunters, Dino Force or something. Oh no, it's called. We recognised how cool it looked. It was called Wild Quest. Oh. Yeah, and I remember distinctly because we'd kind of missed out on it while it was on retail at Toys R Us. We had to get it at like a premium cost at the toy shop at the waterfront. 
Yes, at Peggotty's Toys, I believe it was. Correct. Yeah, I remember racing over to your place uh, immediately after getting it and uh, taking it out of its box and marveling at its cavernous internal capacity. You could still fit a vamp in that thing. I'm wondering if you can fit yeah. a, a uh, you can fit a thunder machine. I'm debating whether or not it could fit a Cobra Imp. But anyways, I'm off on a side quest again. I see. <laughs> Alistair's, is any of this ringing any bells? I just don't recall a time where that um, helicopter wasn't grey. Hmm, true, true, true. I think it spent the bulk of its life... I mean, I quickly decided that, you know, it it can't be lime green. It has to be any other colour. And, yeah, a a sort of a black army helicopter. It, It could go either way that way. It could be Joe, it could be Cobra. It made more sense. I think for a time we even referred to it as the Tomahawk 2. I seem to have notes supporting that. Yeah, because we never had a Tomahawk, so a double-engined um, helicopter immediately kind of gave... It evoked the Tomahawk in, in sort of look and and, and role. So that's and the function, kind of, yeah. Yeah, that's the name I dubbed it with. Anyways, we apprehend Duke, toss him on the chopper, but our innate inquisitiveness, maybe our, our sense of inner good compels us to make a left turn and go past the Cobra Records department. And I seem to remember this being the jump the shark moment. Because we rappel into this building, very Mission Impossible style, like John Woo, you know, crashing through glass and laying waste to security uh, teams. And this was the moment where I decided my character could start exhibiting a matrix level of bullet time and agility. So he was like running up walls and making enormous leaps all in a kind of a slow-mo while enemy security or Cobra security operatives tried to gun him down and like hopelessly miss because he just moves so damn fast. Do you guys remember that moment? Yeah, because we were just like, we were super confused and not knowing what's going on. Yes, what Alistair, the you remember. <laughs> and, and, and knowing my temperament, I was probably pissed off with you. <laughs> Dude, you were, but I think I think you quickly embraced it. Because you, That's I, I not think, real. I think the words out of your mouth were like, oh, can we do this now? <laughs> <laughs> that sounds right. <laughs> okay, I suppose we can do this now. Yeah. <laughs> but that that would make sense. I mean, to then jump on board quickly because mentioning video games earlier, Max Payne was also sort of fresh to me, and that was focusing on a lot of bullet time. Mm. Max Payne, Rob, I think you introduced that video game to me. Or was yes, I think it was is. A I think, yeah, I bought it on um, PC. Yes, it was, it was one of the, the only PC games I owned, I owned at the time. <laughs> And it's, as far as I can recall, it was one of the first video games to use bullet time, but, uh, and mm. that was really fun. And seeing this in the game where we were actually playing with figures, it just, you know, evolved very quickly. Yeah, it made it more acceptable, I think. Yeah. You embraced it, boys, wholeheartedly, because yes, it was a very fun play mechanic and one that hadn't suggested itself to us before The Matrix and Max Payne. Like, everything happened very much in real time. You know, it was like like that kind of 80s action movie style combat where, like, 
Bad guy would run into the scene and spray bullets. Good guy would turn, react, fire back. Bad guy dies. <laughs> you know, wash, rinse, repeat. But in this scenario, we were weaving through bad guys, mm. you know, blowing them away point blank range because they were just kind of almost frozen as we could like duck under their guns, pull them down, waste them, move on to the next one. And that was enormously fun, I thought, and quite an innovation in, when it came to playing with action figures. Yeah, we just had to recycle the bad guys much quicker. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, true, true. Or um, you say we, but uh, <laughs> I think I was always having to manipulate my guy and the bad guys, no? <laughs> Typically, I think me and Alistair tended to stick with uh, controlling only our own characters. Yeah, thanks a bunch, guys. Hey, you, you were in charge. You were the guy True. with the ideas. You knew where we were going. <laughs> we're we're along for the ride. You're so much more skilled at playing with yourself, so we just take along. Sure, bro. <laughs> and be sexist. It's true. It's true. It's true. <laughs> Uh, yeah, um, I think it was around about this uh, era when we deci- decided that um, instead of having to arm our multitude of enemy targets, <laughs> we would just leave their hands empty so we could quickly recycle them. You know, there was no no fear of dislodging a gun. We just pretend that they were all armed with machine guns. Um, meanwhile, they were just, you know, scrap figures lying around with nothing Waving in their hands. Waving their hands around. <laughs> yeah, basically, <laughs> yeah. Is that how lazy we got? Didn't even arm the bad guy. Afraid so, because you know it would put it would put the brakes on the fun, <laughs> like to have to arm individual bad guys. And we're talking about like at least thirty figures to start out one action sequence. So mm, it would definitely yeah. grind the pace down if we were to have to stop. Okay, guys, we need to arm the bad guys. Imagine how many fingers would have broken with me at the long. <laughs> yeah, well, we would have always given you the broken thumb guys and just like a big ball of prestic. <laughs> or just, or just core. Core dudes would be fine. Yeah, dude, the core dudes had the worst thumbs of all. Exactly. <laughs> you couldn't break them anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Carlos Duarte, scorpion with no thumbs. Oh uh, <laughs> yes. So we fight our way down into the archives, and lo and behold, we discover a chunk of history has been erased. And this history involves the final stand on Cobra Island, the turning point of history as we know it. Of course, Duke tells a different story, that the combined armies of, I suppose, G.I. Joe and the United States had defeated Cobra to the point where their last refuge was Cobra Island. And once they were on the final assault on Cobra Island, Cobra enacted their insidious final plan. They had seeded the United States with personnel, deep cover personnel in key strategic positions, political positions, all waiting for this event which was a mass hypnotism, <laughs> oh, here comes the MacGuffin, of the entire civilian population of America, thereby wiping people's memory and installing a new set of memories, making them ripe for the takeover of Cobra, a kind of a mass 
very coordinated takeover of the nation. The only people exempted from this turning point in history, apart from the rest of the world, were the people fighting that final battle on Cobra Island. Mainly the Joes. And the three of us. No, not the three of us. We not the there. three of us, no. No, no, we weren't there because we weren't exempted. We were brainwashed just like the rest of the population. So the only people with that knowledge were the Joes, the surviving Joe members, who then went on to become this resistance movement to try and reinstate the correct version of history um, or try and course correct this, this, this event. But the Cobra grip was strong, man, and they definitely had thought this one through because Cobra wound up on top. So we wind up traveling to Cobra Island and seeing the wreckage of this place, you know, seeing the signs of this epic battle and making our way into the structure where the last stand was fought in the attempt to try and find this mass hypnosis kind of, I suppose, central node. Of course, Cobra is kind of monitoring this uh, this island base. Yeah, these developments, yeah. And we can't be stopped. they got to stop us. Indeed. Do you remember? They bombed the hell out of us. Yeah. Yeah. So just as the truth is revealed, we are wiped off the face of the earth by some... I suppose... I mean, maybe they nuked it. Maybe they were like, okay... We can't even leave this island, not not one shred of evidence intact. we got to vaporize it. So, And that was supposedly the end, or was it? Al, do you remember what happens next? None of this is actually sounding very familiar. Uh, this might jog your memory. The hollowed-out shell in which we sort of make the discovery of this, like, brainwashing technology was played out in my parents' garage. Does that help? No. Because oh, we never played in there before. <laughs> no, no, sure. No, no, see, the way our trip is starting is probably what you're going to say next, is where we wake up with no memory. Yes. And, mm, uh, and our handler is telling us everything that's happened. That's how I remember shifters starting. Right. But that's just my memory. You know. That is what happens next, yeah. yeah correct, correct. And it was setting up the kind of the the lore of this place. We kind of re- revisit this this um, location a number of times. It becomes quite important. We wake up in these glass tubes in some kind of nexus. If you want to think of a kind of a, 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 a touchstone in, in popular culture, the sort of the loading program in The Matrix where they kind of get mm. armed and uh, prep themselves for the the mission, I suppose. We wake up and we're like, what the heck is going on? The three of us are together. We think like, uh, is this heaven? Is this hell? What's going on? And we are greeted by two very diminutive aliens, you could call them, I suppose. Like non-human beings. Uh, they are played out by none other than Dino Riders toys. Uh, for those of you who remembered the Dino Riders, they were both hammerheads, and their names were Quibo and Queek. 
I feel like that might be a throwback to Men in Black, having these kind of exotic little munchkin aliens. Clicking, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And clicking names. Anyways, they don't speak a word of English, so we don't get any answers out of them. But then enter... I forget his, if his name was Tyrell or Tyrese, but he was the armorer. He was our gunsmith. <laughs> a character type that I'm sure L took great relish in having uh, available <laughs> to him. Because L liked a good arm-up scene. Yeah, I mean, I was the guy who had a, in, in one series of games we played, had a little robot that followed him around with all his guns stuck to him. So... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yep. you weren't just limited to what you could carry anymore. It was like, no, I got a bot following me every step of the way with grenade launchers, uh, missiles, <laughs> flamethrower, machine gun. That's also something out of video games lately. I mean, um, what's this uh, Tom Clancy series of Grawl? What was it called? It was Modern uh, or Future War or something? Something like that. And um, in... Ghost, uh, Ghost, 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 Ghost Fighter or something like that. Ghost Recon. Yeah. And in, in one of the versions of the series, you have this armored vehicle that follows you around and you can equip yourself with it, uh, from it. <laughs> kind of makes you wonder why they didn't just let the armored vehicle do the fighting. Yeah. <laughs> drone warfare. Huh? No fun. Where's the fun in drone warfare, man? Anyway... So, Tyrell, or Tyrese, should we settle on one? What do you guys think it was? Tyrell. Tyrell? Tyrell, yeah. Because, okay. I mean, it, it's... I think I probably made you guys watch Blade Runner at some point. <laughs> Tyrell, Tyrell Corporation. Is <laughs> Tyrell Corporation, yes, the guy who created the the androids or the synthetics in that world. It's a cool name. I only watched Blade Runner for the first time two years ago, so... Ah. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I probably showed it to Stephen because I was I was flabbergasted that he had never seen it and he had he was studying film at the time and it's like <laughs> how have you not seen this this iconic sci-fi movie? It's still fun. Well, it was the only time I'd ever watched Citizen Kane and boy am I grateful of having that experience. Something I need to revisit because I've been watching a lot of Orson Welles docu uh, not documentaries interviews on YouTube. Mm. Fascinating man, you know he wrote, directed, and starred in Citizen Kane when he was 26. He was a young man, uh, uh, quite a prolific guy, and very creative with his ideas, um, and also very accepting of science fiction. Yep, also the voice of Unicron, recorded hey. mere days before he died. Incredible. Fantastic. His last gift to us toy fans. Oh. Any hooch, Tyrell tells us all about... His version of things, which really ripped the roof off in a very much like Matrix, you have woken. You've been living a lie your whole yeah, lives. It's, it's very much the Morpheus scene where he, he lays out the score. That we are not from Earth, not even human. We are actually some kind of super-powered beings that he terms as shifters, beings who can travel between realities, who are hardy enough to withstand the kind of the, the, the divisions between different realities, different, uh, different universes, yeah. universes with all sharing one multiverse. We are somehow able to move between them. And as such, we are the perfect candidates 
for policing beings who would use the same power for for evil i suppose we were somehow yeah. an authority in bringing to justice or or stopping by eliminating the bad guys <laughs> of which there were a few different types yeah that's that sounds like jason statham's role in the one he's uh, sort oh, of an okay. force yeah exactly that's, that's, that. that's what they did now i don't have any memories of the one apart from like i think jet lee on top of a pyramid at the end fighting off different oh, versions of himself <laughs> <laughs> no, that's he's in the prison at the end because you've been sent to like the prison reality where people can't escape it, ah. and he's like running to get to the top. And for did whatever he, reason. was the mechanic in place that, that like was the bad guy version? Oh yes, and and yes, the bad guy version. The good guy version lives happily after and gets to go. Yes. Every time he killed himself, he would absorb the sort of combined the, powers. Yes. Um, so eventually, yeah. So eventually, there was just him and the good one, and they they were equally matched, but more powerful than anyone else right. in the multiverse. And once he defeated himself, okay, so it's got elements of Highlander. Yes, um, I, I think you're just forgetting it because you you, you want all of these ideas to have come from your head. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. Um, original ideas, guys. Original ideas. <laughs> no, guys. I will immediately credit that Shifters was our way of poaching all these ideas. Either, mm. you know, we were able to use this kind of interdimensional play mechanic to utilize tropes that we found in comic books, video games, movies. So it was a very derivative play pattern. Very derivative, but yeah, at the, at the same time, it just allowed us to do anything we wanted. Exactly. By combining everything, we all of a sudden had three protagonists who could exist in a Star Wars-esque kind of situation or a blade-esque situation our very first mission once we had accepted the truth that we had in fact been these beings and the only reason we'd forgotten was because we happened to be on earth in north america right about the time cobra drops the hypno bomb yeah so it had wiped our minds you know we are these incredibly strong incredibly powerful beings but we are still susceptible to this kind of massive event that swept everyone up in its thrall so we'd kind of been brainwashed and kind of come out on the other side as as recruits for cobra and live this lie thinking it was our, our own lives our own truth whereas the truth was you know waiting for us in these tubes in this kind of nexus point but our very first assignment was to track down, and here's how derivative we get, <laughs> a vampire shifter called Arvel Crinide. And anyone who knows a thing or two about Star Wars knows that I poached the name straight from the guy who flies the A-Wing straight into uh, the executor's um, bridge. Did you guys know that? I don't oh. know that. I didn't remember that. Haha. <laughs> Orvel Crinide was in our play um a vampire. Uh sort of a vampire overlord. Um much in the same vein as Deacon Frost from the Blade film. <laughs> and he liked to host extravagant parties in his penthouse. I was kind of enamored with a lot of the aesthetics that, that Blade utilized. So much so that I went out and bought a strobe light. Do you guys remember that? This I do remember. 
so we could recreate the nightclub kind of setting. Just, just the blood because we shooting. we load up and we head out to, to to try and kill this vampire dude before he shifts out of his reality and spreads his his reality's vampirism to other more susceptible realities. I think that mm. was that was our primary goal. It was like. This guy's bad news, and he's on the verge of harnessing his shift powers. Stop him. So we wind up in this nightclub with a strobe light going ballistic, and I think this also was the time where music started playing an increasingly important role in our gaming, in the sort of immersion of our gaming. And I think none of us can forget that track from Blade. It's still as good as when I first heard it. <laughs> Can you feel it, Ali? Very, very iconic song. I oh, love yeah. this song. <laughs> Takes me back. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so, guys, do you remember what happened? <laughs> do you remember what happened when we got into this club, El? Not at all. <laughs> Wonderful. Rob? <laughs> <laughs> I imagine, I imagine we encountered Blade. I mean, if we were in a setting with vampires, Blade had to come up. And I think at the time, you even you created your first um, custom Blade figure. Indeed. As we were customizing our own figures, and we recustomized our figures after we returned to our own, well, our own bodies, as it were. Well, we, you and I recustomized. I think Alistair, he 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 was happy with his gummy hands. He 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 decided to stay. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, so, so some of us re- recustomized. I, I gave myself, um, I think it was, uh, uh, what is his name? The guy with the robot hand, the, the kind of like bat overlord guy. Indeed. I think uh, somehow you, you had um, suffered some damage in the shift. Yes. Was the, the figure's name Overkill? Correct. Yes, Overkill. Yes, I took Overkill's body. Or his, his 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 upper torso and arms, and I put Budo's head on, and then I think the legs, I forget who I use whose legs I used. I think you stuck with either Overkill or Budo's legs. Might have actually yeah. been Overkill's legs. It might have so just been a... me putting his yeah Budo's head onto Overkill. So you basically upgraded to a cybernetic body. Yes. Because I I'd, I'd been hurt. Bam! So you were preempting Ghost in the Shell hey, as well. Look at us go. Though I think maybe we had an awareness of Ghost in the Shell back then. I certainly had the video game, which granted has very little to do with the concepts of actual Ghost in the Shell. But like, mm. yeah, maybe the idea of a cyber body was something that uh, anime had kind of uh, all too much had kind of acquainted us with. Hmm. So, yeah, I, I also adapted my custom figure to reflect his new kind of more superheroic stature. <laughs> I gave him the increased stature of a uh, new sculpt figure by giving him the lower lower half of the Snow Serpent version 5, the new sculpt figure, which had these kind of long, lanky legs, but like very like furry kind of snow boots. Yes. Which I suppose made him look like I suppose like a '90s raver, <laughs> with these kind of furry, 
Ugg booty type things. <laughs> oh dear, what, what the hell was I thinking? Um, instead of his uh, gloved, clothed arms from Shockwave, I gave him backblast arms <laughs> because they're so ripped. <laughs> but most importantly, because it had a knife sheath on the side. And when we encountered Blade in the nightclub, I think that's where my character took on his um, signature weapons. Because mm. I, I think until then he was like using whatever. And then after encountering, encountering Blade, he was like, oh, wait, I, I think I'm into swordplay. <laughs> so I added his primary arsenal, which included a, a sort of submachine gun. This was um, Countdown version one's sort of spacey silver submachine gun with the, the box magazine in the front. Mm. And... His blade, which was none other than Snake Eyes version 3's sword with the the ball claw um, pommel and those mm. unique holes, three holes in the um, in the blade itself. And it was quite unique because this sword could fit into that bicep sheath that Backblast has. It's a perfect fit. It's like they did it on purpose, but they didn't. No one in his right mind would uh, would put an entire <laughs> sword in your bicep sheath unless you were some super badass, um, inhumanly strong shifter. <laughs> so it was perfect for me. <laughs> and we were also given our names at this point, or we came up with our, our new names. Or I think Tyrell had... Had reminded us. He was like, he reminded <laughs> us. But I mean, obviously, we as people um, came up with our new names. Uh, mine is probably the most original. Um, Samurai Jack. <laughs> <laughs> hey, laughing boy. What was yours? Uh, taken directly from a book I'd read recently at the time. I can't remember the author's name now. Mm, wasn't it? Um, who's that adventure novelist? Um, uh, Wilbur Smith. There we go. Wilbur Smith. Um, yes. Where he was telling stories of like ancient Egyptian times and things like that. And the the name I chose was one of the main characters in one of the series, uh, Ben Hyamon, if I mm. would even be saying it correctly. Yeah, and as as the story of the shifters went along, then took on more characteristics of the character from the book, just from frustration from my part mostly. <laughs> but um, uh, I don't know if you guys know what I'm talking about. I think Steve might. Oh, buddy, it's the, the microphone is yours. Please enlighten us. <laughs> I'm sure. I don't know. I don't know how uh, when it happened and how it came about exactly. But then I decided, no, Ben's a eunuch. <laughs> oh yes, I do remember that. Yes. But that was typical Steve of the time, you know. He was the far more outgoing, adventurous guy of the three of us. He was the yeah. one with the girlfriends, was the one who did stuff. And then when bringing it into the games, Rob and I felt, oh, I don't know, I can't speak for Rob, but I would feel uncomfortable and not sure what where we're going with this and what's happening. So I would just like extricate myself from the situation. No, nope, Munich can't be involved. Yes, I do remember <laughs> that. Yes, yeah, Stephen started introducing a lot more kind of like love scenes with with characters. At the time, <laughs> yeah. Well, guys, look, I, I I would hesitate to call them love scenes. Uh, none, none, none of this was ever acted out. 
But <laughs> no, so it's no, like no, we, we all those love on ECP after midnight on Saturdays. We love those love movies. <laughs> oh, Red Shoe Diaries. Um, Emmanuel, anyone? Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, there was a whole bunch of soft porn on TV at the time, as I recall. You know, this is a, a time before uh, you know you could actually watch before you could really be able to watch anything on online. You know, it was still mm. pretty rudimentary dial-up internet. We were still very innocent in our twenties. Anyway, no, but I mean, I I recall the, the way it would play out was. You know, these characters were, like, we were young men, you know, ourselves. Steve, Al, and Rob, we were young men, and we were very much aware of the fact that, like, <laughs> these characters had needs. And the only way they could not have needs, I suppose, is if they'd their uh, they, they, junk rooted out either at birth or, or close to or uh, were cybernetic. So I guess that just left me, um, lonely <laughs> only, with the ability to have love interests. And like, you know, it would be a kind of a dot, dot, dot scenario. It was like, you know, the, the, the mission was concluded and, and there was some kind of, um, you know, good time gal. Uh, Very James Bond. Well, I think I think my character wasn't above paying for it. Wow. And if you can cast your mind back to the kind of the Blade world that we inhabited in that first outing, it was a very, at least in my mind, in my kind of inspiration, it was kind of sexually charged. You know, what, what we had perhaps not realized in that Blade film was an undercurrent that, like, vampirism, it, it has got overtones of, like, an STD, mm. you know? It's it's something that you catch from being very intimate. In fact, sharing body fluids, blood, with you know someone who has it. Yeah, and it passes on and on to other people. Yeah. Without realizing it, that theme had kind of it's it's planted, it planted, certainly planted the seed in my head that like yes, there are elements of this kind of gameplay which must involve like sex. <laughs> you don't have to play it out, but certainly my character is not going to be. A eunuch or a robot exactly (laughs) you guys however (laughs) you neatly sidestepped that that awkwardness (laughs) anyway so so i i i you know i went off and and did that scene alone (laughs) (laughs) playing with this up again indeed i am an expert with a roll of Um, toilet paper (laughs) you had to go and spell it out all right all right uh, we're very earnest South Africans, as you can no doubt tell. We like to fill in the dots, paint in the pictures. You gotta be sure about stuff. Did we corner Orval Crinide with the help of Blade? Probably. I feel like we did, yeah, but I, at the same time, I also feel like he got away. A number of times. This guy turned out to be quite a thorn in our side and someone who we, we would have so many encounters with. He would be kind of our chief baddie for a time, but also further along the line would become somewhat of a, an uneasy ally. I love that trope of like, you know, certain circumstances arising where you'd have to team up for mutual survival and then, you know, old scores can be settled once we'd kind of gotten ourselves out of a dangerous situation. But yes, Orville Crinide gave us the slip, falls into the multiverse, and we need to 
bide our time before he pops up again and we can kind of try and nab him. But we then kind of gave way to the gateway drug. We, we were very much high on this, this concept. We were running down a hill and we did a number of cool tropes which we wanted to do, all with these same operatives. Uh, we did space battles. We took on a, a villain called the Chrono Shifter, who basically could freeze time, thereby stopping our bullet time abilities from having any kind of real use. And any time we try to get close enough to him to take a shot or take a swipe, he would reverse us, which is quite a fun little trope. We'd like kind of back up along the same track that we'd taken and kind of find ourselves back where we started. Like, oh, damn, how can we do this differently? That's still remembering. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How can we do this differently to try and, you know, get a little bit closer to him this time? Um, we encountered someone called the multi-shifter who basically could shift. Uh, if you can imagine um, multiple man from the X-Men, he could kind mm. of like create multiples of himself. Of course, we didn't have a figure that we had too many multiples of. So we just used random figures as kind of stand-ins. And it eventually got to a point where he was on like on top of my parents' like massive bookshelf in the lounge. And he was just pouring guys down at us, which we were kind of leaping off of, like using his platforms to kind of climb back up to him. And we kind of slash them with a knife or a blade or gun. And we kind of keep running, keep going. Do you guys remember that? It sounds familiar. <laughs> Very earnest answers. <laughs> but as you're saying it, it feels familiar. I guess all that needs to be drawn from it is the fact that it was hell of a fun. Yeah, I know that. The, the Chrono Shifter, the, the title sounded familiar. No, Chrono, Chrono Shifter definitely sounds familiar. The whole being re rewound in the fight scene. The figure we used was uh, from the Police vs. Bad Guys Chap Main line. He had like a Jason Voorhees white mask and a red mm. puffer jacket over a naked torso with like tattoos and like blue baggy jeans and a pistol holster. It was a cool looking figure. Five point of articulation, but uh, at least top marks on figure design. This is also the time when we kind of went on adventures on a spaceship, didn't we? For a while. Or was, was, was that later? I'm pretty sure we did. These characters became our... Our key, our kind of lens into a multitude of different worlds. Mm. Um, and, and yes, one of them took part on a space freighter. There was a kind of a murder mystery that played out on this massive spaceship. So I guess it took on elements of alien. Uh, it took on elements of clue. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I realized I didn't even give my character's name yet. And yes. I, I, make no um, bones about the fact that I was probably heavily influenced by Iron Fist comics, but I called my guy Shikung Tao. That's S-H-I-K-U-N-G and then different word T-A-U. Shikung Tao. Which probably is absolute gobbledygook. I mean, it's not Chinese or anything, but it's Sounds it sounded cool, martial artsy, and I kind of gave this guy a different, different feel in my hands because until that point he'd been Caucasian with straight black hair. Now all of a sudden it hinted at like maybe a more interesting lineage. And do you guys recall we had a, a, a distinct kind of pecking order? Though my memory's a bit hazy. Uh, there was there, one of us was the eldest, one of us was the middle child, and the other was 
was the youngest. And we're talking about like hundreds, if not thousands of years old here. I think Alistair's character was the oldest. You do? Okay. Yeah. Do you second that, Al? Yeah, I do recall that as well. And then Rob was middle and you were the youngest, but still yeah. then sort of a leader. Right. The hothead, the youngster, calling the shots. <laughs> Because he pretends like he knows what's coming next, but uh, the truth is, yeah, man, it, this concept took us wherever our imaginations uh, were prepared to go. I do love that. So, we also had a kind of a world where it was basically just warfare all the time. Like, if you can think um, the kind of future war sequences from Terminator and Terminator 2, that was our inspiration. It was just like... Like mountains of dead bodies and skeletons, and a, a sort of nearly unending amount of bad guys constantly, kind of waves of them patrolling, and like a kind of a small resistance movement trying to eke out a, a survival there. Rob, I think you were kind of key in creating that world, if I recall. There was a cabal of characters which you spearheaded. Yes, with very original names. I think the one guy was named French Resistance. Um. <laughs> 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 he was our, you know, our contact with the resistance on this world, and involved. I think there was also something called the Triumvirate. I, I can't remember. That was, that was a, a creation of mine. I think we we needed some key baddies. Like Arvel Crynite couldn't be our recurring threat every time. Mm. We needed some some big bads, and you cooked up the Triumvirate. El, do you remember mm. this concept at all? Yeah, it sounds very uh, Illuminati esque. <laughs> totally. We even I, I kind of used paintbrush to des- design their their flag or their logo, which is basically mm, just no. kind of like various <laughs> angular shapes uh, in red and black. And that was a recurring theme with the triumvirates. I think their color scheme was always red and black. It just gave yes. us an opportunity to use the Baroness, Destro, and Darth Maul. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's so very convenient like any character that had a predominantly red and black color scheme was immediately part of this shadowy organization which also existed across realities yes and also at some point we were involved at all in the shifters series but they wear blue don't they yes they do blue with red accents but did we use them for did we use them for anything because they they could fit the the characteristics of the triumvirate, except that they're wearing blue and red. Mm. Mm, quite possibly, quite possibly. I mean, I think my most useful mileage out of Tom X or Zamot, um came out of just using one of them, because between the two figures, we only had one set of, of arms that had thumbs. <laughs> <laughs> so I had to do a, a, quick, a quick little um, uh, arm swap to make up a complete twin. And I gave him a kind of an off-the-shoulder cape uh, and made him a Jedi because I gave mm. him a lightsaber. I don't, I don't know if he figured into the triumvirate in any material way. But, yeah, you definitely are onto something else. And I think also we kind of reinvented stuff at some point as well where we kind of introduced some sort of um, interdimensional police force. Shift ops. Shift ops, yes. We, we weren't the only like guys kind of trying to help out there. I think it was that kind of concept. We were, we were kind of like rogue shift agents, but we were always part of shift ops. I, yes, exactly. I, I quite liked the idea that when we shifted back into Tyrell's 
uh, nexus point. Mm. That he was our handler on the last mission that we went on before the mind wipe event. But we were actually agents in a more uh, structured, formal kind of uh, dimension enforcement agency called Shift Ops. And Tyrell mm. had somehow misled us. Like, he, he wanted us to work exclusively for him, so he spun us this yarn that, oh, yeah, you guys always worked with me, like, this is legit. So it was kind of layers of deception masking a truth, mm. which we had to kind of dig out from being buried. And it was at that point that we kind of discredited Tyrell, and he, he went on the run because he, he realized, like, oh, the truth has been spilt. The... The catalyst that got us to, to, to find out about Shift Ops in the first place was my character had a brother, a long lost brother, who in one of our kind of reality hops, we find him, we encounter him, we free him from some scenario, I, I think. And then we go on to try and, um, uh, rescue his wife, who unfortunately Arvel Crynide had in the intervening years turned to a vampire and made his his uh, concubine, I guess. So that was a rather um, unfortunate discovery for Shikung's brother, uh, who I called yes. Kazuki Fusei, uh, after <laughs> the anime, which I think it told the story of like a post-apocalyptic Japan um, if Germany had won World War Two. I think it was called oh, the I wish Wolf. I could remember the name of that. The Wolf yeah? Pack, the Wolf Squad, something like that. Gee whiz. The amount of things that we drew upon to create this story is staggering. But I think I had an action figure from that uh, series, and I used that head. Uh, I stuck the head, which was not kind of strictly speaking in Joe's scale, but it was close enough. I stuck that head to the torso of a decimator. With just some sticky stuff. <laughs> and that made up <laughs> Kazuki. Oh, man. So Kazuki filled us in on shift ops, and we returned to this bureau, this agency. We were once again working for the man, taking on missions that they ordained worthy for for the, 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 the deployment of these three extremely powerful characters. Mm. I think at one point they even fired us because they were like, you guys need to go into retirement. We, uh, you've become too powerful and, and threatened to upset the balance of the multiverse. And I seem to recall very distinctly uh, wanting to set that sequence to music because, you know, maybe I was going through some shit with Klee <laughs> and, <laughs> um, and wanted to kind of play out this sequence of like feeling underappreciated while I packed up my locker in shift ops. I don't suppose either of you guys remember what track I used to very indulgently play out that that uh, pack, packing up of my desk. Something from Radiohead. Something from Radiohead! Ten points to Alistair. <laughs> You're absolutely on the money. And uh, for, for a further ten points, Rob, um, you want to hazard a guess at the track name? I only uh. know one Radiohead. <laughs> and what's that, L? Oh, yeah, what is it, L? Creep or creeper Creep. or whatever. <laughs> nice. Creeper. 
group. You are a member of the human race. Congratulations. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't think it was creepy. Yeah, Karma Police, maybe? No. Or um, the one at the end of their second album? Hmm. Jeez, I've, I've had two guests now. Well, it was off OK Computer. Oh, no surprises. Or... It wasn't no surprises, which I thought just sounds... While it is an incre- incredibly melancholy song, it has that sweet sound, thanks to, I suppose, a glockenspiel. Yeah. Xylophone, yeah. It's a very syrupy sound for what is contrapuntally a very uh, depressing song, much like most <laughs> of Radiohead's catalogue. Um, but it was actually exit music for a film. Ah, uh, that makes sense. It makes perfect sense because the lyrics, I think it starts with, Pack and get dressed before they finally hear us. Yeah. Today, we escape, we escape. That um, kind of refrain. Um, just kind of looked on and kind of agog. Uh, Can we go back to the action now, please? Yeah, exactly. Like we we, we showed up, Stephen, so we could have You're some badass action sequences. And and here we are watching you like like throw the furniture around your um, cramped living space. Your little little toy room. Uh, oh, gosh, guys, we've covered a lot of ground, man. This is very. Um, it is indulgent, but as I say, I've been wanting... This has kind of welled up inside of me for as many years as I've been doing G.I. Joburg. And I needed this. I really did. But like all good things, it must come to an end. And off the top of your heads, how do you think Shifters concluded? Hmm. It probably never did. Um, not, not like ultimately, you know. I I do think there was an event that punctuated, at least in in this form, our characters' journeys. Didn't didn't we get those Japanese figures at some point? Those um. Sure. I would I would move to to say that that was kind of Shifter's um version two. Yeah. But but. Okay, I, I, I don't remember the end of the original story. Yeah, I might be I might be kind of massaging this to fit, but I think these three characters met their kind of their kind of concluding storyline in what could only be described as kind of Shifter's Ragnarok. It was a scenario where all the 
like overly powered shifters from the multiverse all wound up on one world where basically the battle between good and evil waged until one emerges triumphantly. And for this, we broke scale. We broke genre. We, we just ripped off the roof. It, it had to be a kind of a battle royale of epic proportions. And as a result, the Thundercats were in on it. He-Man was in on it. Like, Cable and the X-Force were in on it. Um, the T-1000. All the kind of toys of yore were part of this battle. All the kind of the, the, the heavy hitters from our various years of, of play. I don't think we included Lego or Micro Machines, but uh, pretty much everyone else was in it to win it. Boba Fett flew a jetpack overhead, and um, our McFarlane toys also came out to play. Do you guys recall that at all? Was it also the one where we fought with um, the, the giant squishy dude? I feel like he was in on that fight. Like we uh, just threw everyone into the... Into was it the, one of those uh, vac, vac troopers? Yeah, it's one of those guy. vac dudes, yeah. You would kind of pump his head, and he would yes. sort of you'd pump the air out, and kind of be able to stretch him. Although I I don't ever remember being able to do that with him. Like I think. Yeah, it probably died early on, or or maybe I kind of warned you that like, don't do it, Rob. It's don't gonna it. it's, it's gonna destroy it. I mean, it works Isn't for it? a time, but I think the rubber starts to degrade, and once the kind of stuffing is in danger of coming out, then. That's when uh, playtime is over, boys. Playtime is finished with him. <laughs> Ellie, do you, do you recall this kind of gigantic battle royale? Yeah, I do. The thing uh, Rob's talking about, that, that guy was purple, right? Uh, yeah. Green. Green and green. I like think a he light, had purple like a on him, yeah. But we like yeah. put like weird armor on him and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Like there was some like kind a... of beanbag that had been vacuum sealed. Totally, yeah. totally. So he was he was in it, um, in it to win it. Perhaps on the force of the bad guys. I seem to think mm. on the on the good guys side we had, well, we had some some unbeatable dudes. I mean, we had like both Lionel and He Man. <laughs> we were out to do some damage, man. We totally um, lost it. But I I feel like the first character of our three to die was was Ben at some point during this this final confrontation. Or did all three of us die? I think what killed it, boys, and, uh, you know, I'm going to kind of rush forward and, 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 and burst the bubble uh, just because I'm sure you're both going to spring into recalling this as soon as I say it. <laughs> but late one night, we were like in the thick of things, uh, in the sort of the, the driveway, in the kind of the, ca- the the encampment of the the good um, shifters, you know, He-Man and, and Lion-O and, and the assembled crew, Cable uh, and Shikung Tao, Ben Hayamon and uh, Samurai Jack. We we're all there, perhaps swapping war stories around the campfire. And uh, the neighbors had just arrived home from a night out and... <laughs> We're peering over the wall, laughing their heads off uh, at this, this strange sight of three grown men, 20-somethings, cowered over their action figures, enjoying that night's roleplay. And I had not noticed them. Rob, maybe you had noticed them. 
I know certainly yeah. L had noticed them, and he kind of backed off, and he was like almost <laughs> enjoying the joke with them, like <laughs> you know, those funny guys. <laughs> and then I think they they like tossed a twig or something at us, just to kind of let us know or let me know, because I was swept up in it, man. I was I had blinkers on at that point. Let me know that uh, they were watching and kind of break the spell of the game. And I think with that shattered my desire to I don't know to to continue the story it, it I felt ashamed sadly mm. big bad bullies yeah. yeah I was still at a stage where I thoroughly enjoyed in my time with you guys uh, playing kind of particularly when we were you know when we quit messing around we were actually kind of into it that had become my favorite activity of all it really mm. I, I was able to fully invest and suspend my disbelief and like go with it and i think you guys came with me on many of those journeys yeah initially me and Alistair would often play i mean you know yeah. we'd make jokes and stuff but eventually we would for myself at least i would be into it well as i recall rob you would make the jokes and l was your very very appreciative audience <laughs> Alistair enjoyed all my jokes. What can I say? Ellie, you have the best laugh, my man. That's why I kept doing it. Because <laughs> I love hearing him laugh. <laughs> yeah, big old belly laughs from my buddy Elle. And yeah, uh, no, look, it was great fun. But I was often like... But the, you both got to focus on. <laughs> well, just but maybe the frustrated artist trying to concoct a storyline and like, oh, guys, guys, oh, I get just, it. I think that's just why focus for one stop. second. Well, I think many of these games were able to cast that spell, and we were very much swept up in it because it was a rewarding style of play. The action was fresh and exciting. The concepts were always varied. Like, whatever we could dream, we could inhabit. But it had started to wear thin, and I think, like, you know, particularly the superhuman antics of it was starting to become a grind. Like, no enemy really offered much um, in the way of of opposition. Yeah, of a challenge anymore. We mm. were just that strong. Indeed. But it was a very storied story. And then we had to get the stuff. We did, we did. So, in closing, boys, does anyone have any kind of reflections on Shifters? What did it mean to you? Do you, do you retain any of that to this day? Uh, I know I do, um, and it's it's enormously helpful to uncork this finally and get it on record, if for no other reason than my own posterity. You know, this is a podcast that I'll probably re-listen to 10 years, 20 years down the line, and enjoy. It's been a blast talking to you guys, though I fear I've always hogged the mic. No, but it's, it's mainly because your memory is the best of all three of us. Um, and that's... Mostly due to the fact that Steve created most of the stories we played, Shifters That's and true. other. And with Shifters, I decided to document it. Do you guys know that after every time we played, I wrote down what had happened? What, like a dear diary moment? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Or more like a wow. the story so far dot 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 moment. Okay. Yeah. Wow. So this stuff is chronicled, well, now in audio, but. Uh, it also exists on paper. That's not with you. Sure. Rob even took up the duties of writing a story, and that is also on hard copy. 
I have it in my files somewhere. Hey, huh? Game files. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, I think... If we, I, well, for me at least, I mean, I got so swept up in that I wanted to kind of expand the world. And I think that's also where the, the war world came from. And I kind of, yeah, I typed up a whole story trying to introduce some of the characters in the Triumvirate as well as the last adventure of one of the leaders of the resistance on that war world. Um, yeah, I, I think definitely this had a huge impact as, you know, going forward at least creatively. It was, even if I can't remember all of it, I still, I, I remember my character's name and I remember, you know, impressions of stuff that we did do and we, and what we had fun and the fact that we did have fun together and we enjoyed it. And yeah, there, there was a lot of stuff that went into it. I mean, you know, printing of things, um, designing those, those ships and, it really did just let us do whatever we wanted. You didn't have to worry about trying to like adhere to any sort of existing universe. It was just everything goes, do whatever you want, and have the fun. Until the bullies came along and, and, and <laughs> said, you're going to be adults now. And uh, for the most part, we, we I suppose we did become adults, but, you know, we still hang on to it in some ways. Still oh, got it they in only somewhere. succeeded in postponing the inevitable. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is G.I. Joburg, the further evolution of Rob, L and Steve's playtime. Now now we do it in video form and publish it on YouTube. (laughs) (laughs) Who's laughing now? Bullies. (laughs) Yeah, they didn't get to go to the States. (laughs) Ellie, any final thoughts from you, my man? I think Rob said it all there, you know, it was just a... A good time where we had fun as friends, playing around, just enjoying each other's company. I mean, it makes you think, what did other guys our age do? Were they out drinking and saping and doing crazy stuff? I'm, uh, I'm yes. happy with what I'm happy with what we did. You know, it's mm. uh, it, was a wholesome, it was a wholesome way to spend our time. We didn't get up to any mischief, like like your parents would want you to. So I'm I'm happy with the times we spent playing toys. Yeah, I think so as well. I, I I definitely um it's a very to at least my knowledge it's a very unique way of growing up and yeah. Thank you, Steve. Uh, guys, us out of jail, off the streets, and off the drugs. Nice. Hey. And <laughs> created a memory vault that for at least for me uh and i'm sure i speak for the two of you as well though perhaps your recollections aren't as vivid hopefully you recall a time like this where life had no complications uh we were just three buddies meeting up after dark to explore our own imaginations and it will always be like a very cherished time for me you know when days are dark and friends are few, I go back to those moments. It was a good time. I'm glad we were there with you, and I'm glad you were there with us. Nice. Oh. Oh, I wanted I'm to mention, it was yes. around about this time uh, that, L, you got me the Matrix soundtrack as a present. Do you remember that? <laughs> yes, I do. How bizarre. Like so many times did we bang out a, an action sequence to propeller heads. Yeah.
I mean, in fact, all of that Matrix soundtrack, the kind of new new rock um, uh, or new metal, really kind of just wallpapered our action sequences. Rob D's Clubbed to Death had the perfect mix of like melancholy, you know, like somber, like we're about to go into some serious shit um, music. And then it kind of kicked into like a heavy drum and bass of like, okay, get your mind right, boys. We're going in. Ah, man, so many good tracks. I would encourage everyone listening to this podcast to maybe give the original Matrix soundtrack a spin. It's full of that early 2000s, late 90s goodness. Oh, it's fantastic. Oh, man. Platform boots, skin-tight leather tank tops. Guys, put on your dark glasses and um, put a lot of gel in your hair and... (laughs) If you still got some, <laughs> and join me, but join me. Gel or hair? <laughs> wow. yeah, Both. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Boom. Oh, guys, what an epic adventure. We're not that old. All right, I gotta pick <laughs> up uh, Kim from the hospital. This has been a blast. Thank you, thank you, thank you for indulging me, boys. Absolutely. Yeah, any it has time, been, man. It's been fantastic. Yeah, it's nice that. I can also listen to this now. I mean, I have the impressions. I just don't have necessarily have the memories, and I appreciate that at least one of us remembers this for all of us. Well, now it's indelible, at least as long as the internet exists. <laughs> Later, boys. Love you both. Cheers, have a Steven. good night. Cheers, yeah. Al. Cheers, Gabriel, if you're Bye. still awake. <laughs> <laughs> no, he finally fell asleep about 20 minutes ago. Oh, hey, there boy. we go. It's our Sweet voices. Boy. <laughs> You didn't even hear it, but I was—I changed the nappy during it and everything. So, hell, <laughs> oh, the legend. Photo or it didn't happen. <laughs> I want to see poop. I want to see poop. No, there was no poop. Thank, Thank you. Goodness. All right, boys, I'm out. Later. Good night. Boys. Good day. <laughs>